Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'll be a friend of Jesus, and Jesus is going to be your friend. And he'll be your friend before you become his friend. We're delighted to have you with us. We have a lot of guests with us today. We welcome you. We're glad you could be with us today. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be on the second page, Genesis chapter 2, in just a moment. Encourage you to get your Bibles and turn over there as we talk about some things that's of importance to all of us. And it's good to be together. We around here got this common phrase that Sunday is the best day of the week, and we really believe that. Today we get to be together. Today we bow our heads to God. Today we remind ourselves it's more than just us. There's God, and we need to be mindful of that. Delighted to have each of you with us today. You know, in our lives, there's a lot of special days. We start off with our birthdays. And then there's graduation. And then there's wedding days. And then there's anniversaries. And then there's all those big holidays. There's Christmas and Thanksgiving and Labor Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day and Fourth of July. Our calendars are just filled with all the events that are special. In the Shouse house, we have 11 grandkids. And it seems like every week, Debbie says it's so-and-so's birthday. And I said, I thought we just had that one. She goes, no, that was this one. That was this one. And life is full of special days. Well, when we open our Bible, God has special days. Today is one of them, Sunday, the best day of the week. We call it the Lord's Day. But we, in, in our Bibles, we read about Pentecost and Passover. We read about the Day of Atonement, days that were unique and special to Israel. But one day that was, stands out that's found all over our Bible, and we're going to gather some lessons from it today, is what we call the Sabbath day. Now, for a lot of folks, when we talk about the Sabbath day, all we think about is, well, we don't worship the Sabbath, and that's about all we know. And we need to spend some time, because this is a significant day in our Bible. It's found all throughout the Bible, and it's something that was a major part of Jesus' life. And from this, there are going to be some lessons we learn we need to appreciate. First of all, the word Sabbath itself simply means rest. It was a day of rest for Israel. And it's found over 150 times in our Bible. And we need to appreciate that Sunday is not our Sabbath. I've heard people say throughout my whole life, well, Sunday is a Christian Sabbath. The Bible never says that. The Sabbath day was for Israel. It was the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And if you're kind of new with us, this may be a little bit of a shocker to us. We do not keep the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commandments. Nine of the Ten Commandments are in the New Testament. Our law is the New Testament. We follow the nine because they're in the New Testament. The one that's not found that we are to keep is the Sabbath day. But when we think about the Sabbath day, a significant part of the Lord's life, there are some lessons in there that we need to appreciate and we need to understand what the Bible says about that. One of the very first things we need to see is the value and the importance of work. You work first and then you rested. Sometimes I think our society has this backwards. And we need to have some serious conversations about what God says about work. Work is not a dirty word. Work is not punishment. Work is not a curse. God told Adam to name the animals before the, he sinned. God told Adam to take care of the garden before he sinned. So, so sin was, was not the punishment of going to work. That was something God wanted us all to do. You got your Bibles in Genesis chapter 2 now? Look at verse 2 and verse 3 with me. Genesis 2, verse 2, verse 3. It says, But the seventh day God completed his work 
which he had done, and he rested. You see that pattern? You work first, then you rest. In America, we have that backwards. I want to rest first, then go to work. That's not the Bible way. On the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, which he had sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And that's something that's significant for understanding. I see in the news that somebody won that billion-dollar Powerball yesterday. Interesting, reading all the interviews about that. What would you do, someone asked, if you won the Powerball, a billion dollars? First of all, half of it or more goes to taxes, so you don't have a billion dollars. But person after person, there's a common thread. I'd start a school in Africa. I would donate over here. I would send it to the Cancer Society. I would do this. But every person, without question, before they said that, said, I would quit my job. I would quit my job by my mama house. I would quit my job and build a school in Africa. I would quit my job. That is a common thought today. One of the things that the Sabbath teaches us is the value of work. Now, let's just run through some statistics. On average, a person's going to work 80,000 to 86,000 hours in your life. So you better find something you like to do. That's important. Now, 70% of people would change their job if they could. One in three say they hate their job. Two out of three people feel like they're in the wrong career. Now, dads who got seniors who are getting ready to go off to college, look at this next one. Ten years after graduation, 80% of college grads are working in something unrelated to the college degree. Doesn't that make you feel good for the next four years? But that's what happens. Now, interesting, and I haven't seen that there's necessarily a connection here, but it's so interesting to see that. More people die on Monday morning than any other time of the week. And more suicides are committed on Sunday night than any other time. Is there a connection to work? One must think that. And 85% of people said they could work harder if they really wanted to. And what we have is one writer says, we tend to worship our work work at our play, and play at our worship. And that seems to be a problem we find just all over. And so the value of work, the importance of work shows us three things. First of all, when you think about this, work makes us productive. It gives us something of value to do. It does something that God wants us to do. Everything that God created was made to contribute. Now, we may have a hard time understanding that. You know, when you think about bugs, Little bugs and big bugs and stinky bugs and sticky bugs and bugs that bite you and bugs that fly and bugs that crawl. What's the value of bugs? Somehow, in God's system, they contribute. The trees contribute. The clouds contribute. Everything God made was to contribute. To show you this, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. As Solomon begins this song about how it seems like everything is just the same. Notice what it says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 5. But also the sun rises and the sun sets. Hastening to its place, it rises there again. Now the sun contributes, doesn't it? 
Blowing toward the south. Now he talks about the wind. Then turning to the north. The wind continues swirling around. And on its circular courses, the wind returns. The wind contributes. Verse 7. All the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. The place where the rivers flow, they, there they flow again. And what he's saying is he's talking about these cycles. Cycles in weather. Cycles in nature. Everything God made, including you, were made to contribute. Now, what we have is the thinking today that I don't want to do anything. And what we see, one of the great lessons of the Sabbath is it teaches us how important work is. In the book of John, Jesus said it this way in John 5 about himself. My father is working until now. God's, at, God's doing things. And I myself am working. He would say in chapter 9, he said, we must work the works who sent me as long as his day. Night is coming when no man can work. We are working now, Jesus talked about, there in the kingdom. The second thing that work does, it makes us, there's an upside benefit to it. Because of work, we have an income. And because we have an income, we can take care of our families. We can do things. As Stuart said just a while ago, as we talked about the contribution, the things this church does is based upon your contribution. Where does your contribution come from? If from your work. And all of this shows us we're connected. The doctor, the mechanic, the banker, the baker, the carpenter, the teacher, the nurse, the blue collar, the white collar, the working with your hands, the working with your mind, the planner, the architect, the developer, the construction crew, the real estate agent, the mom and dad who buy the house, they're all somehow tied together. And what work does is it shows us the value of being productive. The psalmist said this way in Psalms 128. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. It will be well with you. What he's saying is you have labored, you've earned this, this is a good thing. Idleness has been called the devil's playground. That guy can't pick up his own Cheetos. Isn't he lazy? And, and, and that's, that's where a lot of people want to be. I would like to be that guy where I don't ever have to go to work. Just put some Cheetos on my belly, and maybe I'll just nibble them here and there. And isn't that great? Well, you're not adding anything. You're not producing anything. You're not helping anything. And then the third thing that work does, it allows us to honor and glorify our God. And by doing this, it helps us to see this. In the book of Colossians in chapter 3, the Colossian writer would say this. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. Now, focus on that phrase there. You may be able to put a name of a boss where you work, a supervisor, CEO. You're not working for the corporation. You're not working for the company. You're not working for the system. You're working for the Lord. Now, imagine you show up to work tomorrow, and there's the Lord. The Lord Jesus is right there. It says, you know what? I, I understand you're supposed to take this shovel and move that dirt. Well, would you complain about it? We say, yes, Lord, I'll be happy to do it for you. You're supposed to crunch these numbers. You're supposed to do this job, whatever it is. You're to work, he says, as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. There's an attitude about that. And that attitude helps us to appreciate these things. Now, being a Christian in a working world today, it's difficult. 
We work with people with no convictions and no scruples. We work with people who have challenges to us, the work schedule, the current culture of things today, the daily pressure. It's hard upon Christians. And one of the things that's easy to do is just complain. I ran across this the other day. These are actual complaints from people who went on different cruises. This is a, from a travel to a travel agency. It said, we went on vacation to Spain and had a problem with the taxi drivers because they all spoke Spanish. Well, yeah. Another person said, the beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. No one told us that there would be fish in the water. The children were scared. It took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took Americans only three hours. This doesn't seem fair. We had to line up outside to catch the boat, and there was no air conditioning. I was bitten by a mosquito. The brochure never mentioned mosquitoes. Although the brochure said that there will be fully equipped kitchen, there's no egg slicer in the drawers. I'll be honest, I have no idea what an egg slicer is. I think you just use a knife. I, compl- I compared the size of our one-bedroom suite to our friend's three-bedroom suite, and ours was significantly smaller. It was your duty as a tour operator to advise us of noisy and a noisy guests who seemed to complain. You see, that's what happens. And as a result of this, we forget what God wants us to do. In Ephesians chapter 6, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling to, in the sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service. You know what eye service is. Here comes the boss walking through the room. Flip off that little game you're playing, get off Amazon, and start putting up some real numbers. And so when he walks by, he just kind of glances at your computer. You're working. But as soon as he leaves, you're back to doing whatever you want to do. Don't do it just for eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. What the Sabbath teaches us is to work. Work hard. Work the way God wants you to. Peter would say it this way. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And a lot of you could say, well, you know what? That's where I work. Man, it's unreasonable. Those bosses, they're always honest. People like Darren, who's just a boss. Man, he drives those slaves. No, he doesn't, because I know how he works. For this finds favor, he says, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering, even if your boss is not nice, even if your boss is unreasonable, you are to do it for the Lord. It is not healthy, beneficial, nor the way of God designed it for us to sit at home, do nothing when we could work. Now, we know age, we know health has an issue here. But a lot of times what we see in our society today is healthy people who could work won't work. And what we need to see is what the Sabbath teaches us. It teaches us the importance of work. You work six days and then you rest. And that's the second point here. What the Sabbath teaches us is the need for rest. God rested after the seventh day. It was a day in which all work was to cease. It's a cessation of work. And by this, they were to learn some things. We get the word marathon. We think about marathon race came from ancient Greece. And the Greeks and the Persians were at war. And a man ran from Athens to Sparta nonstop with a message for the king. He delivered the message, 
and he dropped dead. And his name was similar to Marathon. And that's where we get that name for a long, long race. And a lot of people today, that's how they work. They work so hard. They work so in, in energetically. They feel like that there's just a badge of honor to always be busy. And what happens as a result is that we're tired, we're stressed, we're stretched thin, it leaves us irritable and negative toward those whom we love the most. The old Harry Chapin song, Cats in the Cradle, about a dad who was too busy for his son. His son grew up and was too busy for his son. And what happens is the home breaks down. What happens is I don't have time for church. What happens is I cannot be a shepherd or a deacon. I'm just too busy. What happens is there's just no time. And so what God designed was a rest, a Sabbath rest. Now, I want you to understand, this is not like your Saturday. I mean, you work Monday to Friday, and then on Saturday, well, I've got to do yard work. I take the dog to the vet. I've got to do some the, the chores in the house. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. Clean the closets. Go shopping for kids' school stuff. This, no, 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 no. Not on Sabbath day. You're not cooking on the Sabbath day. You're not picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. You're not cleaning on the Sabbath day. You're not planting on the Sabbath day. You're not harvesting on the Sabbath day. You're even limited how far you can travel on the Sabbath day. Everything was a cessation. What God wanted them to see is life is more than work. You work six days, but then you rest. Even when they were in, in, in the wilderness... And God was sending food from above, the manna from above. On Friday, they had to pick up a double portion because they could not pick it up on Sunday or on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath. You don't pick it up. A year ago, Debbie and I were in Israel. And we were at a hotel on the Sabbath day. And we were told it was a Sabbath elevator. So when you got in this elevator, you didn't have to push buttons. It stopped at every floor automatically. Now, if you're on the fifth floor and you want to go to the ninth floor, you had to go to the sixth floor, seventh floor, eighth floor, ninth floor. And the reason why they did that is if a Jewish family got in there and pushed an elevator button, that's considered work. There is no work on the Sabbath. So when we think about what God was telling them here, he wasn't saying, now you work hard, and then when it comes to the Sabbath day, that's when you're doing all your homework. That's when you're doing all your chores. That's when you're taking care of the garden and the yard and all the stuff. No. No. Comes to the Sabbath day, you stop and you rest. You don't even cook your food. That has to be cooked the day before. You don't clean up messes. In fact, I was told by a Jewish family over there, it's kind of a gross thought in my mind. On the Sabbath day, they don't even flush the toilets because that's considered work. You do no work on the Sabbath day. And so we see in Leviticus 23, for six days work may be done. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your doings. Well, you might say, well, then what do they do? I mean, what did he do? And, and this is not once a year, once a month. This came about every single week. Work six days, Sabbath day. Well, one of the first things they did was they spent time with their family. Spent time with their family. You're not going to be out there doing yard work. You're not going golfing. Hey, it's Saturday, my day off. I'm going golfing with the boys. Nope, you can't do that. That's considered work. So you spent time with your family. 
And I just wonder how our families may be enriched if we thought about that. Let's just not do anything this day. Let's just get talk. And let's just enjoy each other. And let's do what God wants us to do. And the second thing they did is they went to the synagogue for worship. Notice just a few examples here in the life of Jesus from the book of Luke. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Why? Because he was going to go in there to worship. In chapter 6, it says, And it came about on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and was teaching there. Once again, we find in Luke 13, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So what did they do? They went to worship, or they stayed home and just spent time with the family. Well, honey, can, you know, can you hang that picture? I've been wanting that picture hanging up there for a long time. Well, I'm here. Let's, nope, can't do that. It's a violation of the Sabbath. Well, you know, we had a storm last night. There's all kinds of sticks in the yard. Let's just pick up. Nope, can't do that. That's considered work. And, and for us in our society, we wouldn't know what to do. We're always busy. We're always working. And what God is saying here is, I want you to slow down. I want you to connect. Connect with your family and connect with me. Now, there's a great passage in the book of Ecclesiastes about the woodsman. He says, if the axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge... Then he, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has advantage over giving success. And so here's a guy chopping a tree. He's chopping, he's chopping, he's chopping, he's chopping, and the axe is getting dull. It takes more energy, more energy, and more energy to chop this wood. Now, now he's faced with a dilemma. I can keep on chopping, which is productive, or if I take a break and go over here and sharpen my axe, I'm not cutting wood right now, but I'm going to come back with a sharper axe and I'm going to get about some things. And what we see from this is there's times that you and I need to sharpen our axe. There's times we need to think and consider and look at some things. Cut your Bible, turn with me if you will. And, and, and let's notice a couple of passages in the book of Matthew chapter 6. And of all settings, Jesus is right here talking about the subject of worry. And that's a big one for us. I mean, it, it, we would be hard-pressed to say we don't worry. We know we shouldn't, but we do. And I want you to notice two particular expressions here. Matthew chapter 6, let's notice verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. I think he's going to go and talk about how God takes care of those birds. When's the last time you looked at the birds of the air? Well, I'm too busy. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got this. Our list is long. One of the things God wanted them to do is sharpen your axe. Then look in verse 28, if you will. In verse 28, it says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. Stop and look at the flowers, we say. Stop and smell the roses, is the expression we use. What he's saying there is notice these things. You know, as I left my neighborhood today, there was a little turtle crossing the road. I almost stopped and picked him up. I had my suit on. Then there was five deers in the neighbor's yard just eating, waiting for Roger to leave so they go to my house. My house was Golden Corral, and they just eat everything I got. And they're just waiting for me to get out of the neighborhood so they can go over the Golden Corral and eat all my shrubs. But what he's saying here is sometimes the busyness of life we miss. There's a place of work, but then God said there's a place to rest. 
And as you're resting, you're not in bed eating Cheetos. You are reflecting. You're thinking. You're growing. You're meditating. You're becoming a better disciple of the Lord. That's what takes place. Now, before we leave this point, we need to appreciate that one of the greatest criticisms of Jesus was that he violated the Sabbath. Over and over, he healed on the Sabbath, and that bothered the Jews. The Jews thought, well, you are working, you're breaking the Sabbath, you cannot be the Messiah, because the Messiah is going to keep the law. So we just look at a few examples of this in Mark chapter 3. He entered again into the synagogue, and the man there with a withered hand, and they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. He said to the man with a withered hand, get up and come forward. He said to him, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking at them with anger, that's the thought we don't think about, do we? Jesus getting mad. He gets mad when we don't do things right. Looking at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and began conspiring with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Yet another occasion about the bent-over woman in Luke chapter 13. The synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd, notice he's not talking to Jesus, he's talking to the crowd. There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? That was not considered work. And this woman, this daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan is bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his appointments were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him. And then in the book of John chapter 9, now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I wash and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, two things I want you to notice. First of all, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted just like you are in all points, yet without sin. Jesus never did wrong all those examples and many more we could give he was not violating the sabbath law what happened was they had traditions and their traditions were not from god but from man and he was showing them that their traditions was getting in the way of god let's turn over the book of mark real quickly and just grab this verse real quickly in mark chapter 7 it says and the pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him and, and had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. Now stop there. We do the same thing, don't we? No, we don't. Each, you know, before you go eat, you're going to wash your hands. Well, this is more than just washing your hands. They had a special basin. And you dip your hands all the way up to your arms and let that water come all the way down your arms. Once, twice, three times, sometimes up to seven times you do that. Well, the, well, Jesus' disciples didn't do that. The law didn't say you had to do that. That's just what their elders or their traditions have said. Verse 4 says, when he came from the marketplace, 
They do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things that they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now Jesus responds, Rightly, he says, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Stop right there. That could be us this morning. I sung those hymns, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I bowed my head when we had a prayer, but my mind's 10,000 miles away. I threw some cracker in my mouth, but I'm thinking about ball games. Put some juice in my mouth. I'm thinking about mortgages and car payments. My mind's 1,000 miles away. You honored me with your lips, but your heart is miles away from me. Then he says in verse 7, But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of man. You're making these traditions the law of God, and they are not the law of God. Neglecting, verse 8, the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, You nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. Then down verse 13, You invalidate the word of God by your traditions. So Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Was that breaking the law? No, it was not. Was that sticking a finger in their traditions? Yes, it was. Your traditions are keeping you from doing what God says. And so when we think about the Sabbath, it teaches us the importance of worship or work. It teaches us the need for rest. And then the third thing it does, it gives us a reminder for God. A reminder for God. In the book of Ezekiel, he would say it this way. Also, he says, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And then verse 20 of the same chapter, sanctify my Sabbath, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know I am the Lord your God. Again, showing this, that the Sabbath day was to be a holy day, a day of worship, a day in which they were to consecrate themselves and to think about the Lord. We've got passages such as Psalms 23, where the desire of the Lord was to lead them by quiet or still waters. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you noticed in the last few years how our language has changed? Sunday was the Lord's Day, and that's why we keep saying it here. We never want you to forget that. Then it became Sunday. The biggest sports day of the world. Then it became the weekend. You go to work tomorrow and they say, what did you do over the weekend? And what we do is we just lump it all together. And what we've done is we've kind of lost the specialness of what God's day really is. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to wrap it up on this point here. As we think about this eternal rest that still awaits us. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read the first 13 verses. But before we read this, I want you to scan with me, and I want you to notice how many times we're going to see the word rest. It's going to be found there in verse 1. and verse 3, two times. He's going to talk about rested in verse 4. Verse 5 is rest. Verse 8 is rest. Verse 9 is rest. Verse 10 has rest and rested. Verse 11 has rest. Over and over and over again, he's bringing up this concept of another rest. Not the Old Testament rest, but a rest for God's people today. I think he's talking about heaven. Now let's read this. Therefore, he says, 
let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should come, seem to come short of it. For indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also had. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Verse 3 says, For we who believe enter the rest, just as he said. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. He thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who were formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Now let's just do a little time out there. He talked about those who are not going to enter the rest. He's talking about the Jews who were preached Jesus Christ. Jesus is the best word in the world. Jesus came to save your souls. Jesus came to die on the cross for you. But Lam said, nah, not interested. Those are not going to enter the rest. But there is those who will enter the rest. I think he's talking about us. And so there he says, beginning in verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter it because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, as long as time just has been said before, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, they would not have spoken of another day after that. He's talking about the eternal rest there. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest any one of you fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It says in verse 8, 13, And there is no creature hidden from the sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is a coming rest, he says, a rest from our struggles, a rest from our troubles, a rest from our labors. In fact, Revelation 14, verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now, this is not talking about a man who worked 50 years of his life and just wore himself out at the factory. He's talking about a man here, a woman here, who put kingdom first. Their struggles were kingdom. Their labors were kingdom. And now they rest from their labors. And as Hebrews 4 verse 11 says, let us therefore be diligent to enter this. The idea of being diligent means get about this. Don't put this secondary. Don't put this on the back burner. Don't say I'll get around to it someday. This is something that's important. There is a rest coming for the people of God. But we work first. There's a little song we sing. It's a really old song. It says, we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work. Years ago, I was preaching somewhere and had this little boy, kind of, kind of, he and I kind of bonded. And every night when I stood by the door to shake hands, he stood right beside me shaking hands. And when I'd walk down the aisle, his mama would let him come out with me and we'd just go down there. And so one day, as we were just back there by ourselves talking, I said, are you behaving this week? He put his hand on his hip and says, Mr. Roger, I'm at church so much I don't have time to be bad. Well, you know, there's some goodness in that, isn't there? There's a lot of goodness in that. 
And so when we think about the Sabbath, don't just dismiss it saying, well, you know what? We don't keep the Sabbath today. It's an Old Testament thing. It really doesn't matter. It teaches us things, doesn't it? It teaches us what a blessing it is to have a job and have an ability that I can use that talent and make a living. And through that living, I can take care of my family. And through that living, I can help this congregation. And through that living, I can help the kingdom grow. But realize, life isn't just work. The day you die, within a month, you'll be replaced. That includes me in this pulpit. That will happen. Life is more than work. Life is walking with Jesus. Life is going somewhere. And so every once in a while, we're not commanded to do this, but every once in a while, it's good just to unplug. Unplug from social media, turn that TV off, gather the family around the table, and the first thing they're going to do is, what are we going to talk about? Well, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your day. Let's talk about your dreams. Let's talk about what bothers you. Let's talk about what's good. Let's talk about what's bad. Let's kind of do that together. And then once in a while, you need to just stop and sharpen that ax. You need to look at things. You need to notice clouds. Debbie and I do that a lot when we're driving. We're driving around. We, we always try to say, well, just the other day we're driving. We saw it looked like a big one of those big bathtub of yellow ducks up in the sky. It was white, but it looked like one of those yellow ducks. How many people drive by and never saw that? You stop. You observe. You meditate. You connect. And then you see how important that is. And so the Sabbath is a great reminder for us. It's a great reminder of how God wants us to function. Work hard. Rest hard. Honor me hard. All of those things are essential. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to realize just sitting in a church house doesn't do it. I can go to a ball game, sit in the stands. That doesn't mean I'm a ball player. I can take my car to a car shop. doesn't mean I'm a mechanic. Just sitting in the church building doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus does. And so you need to give your heart to him. You need to do what he wants you to say, do. Don't listen to traditions. We have traditions today. Traditions of man, tradition of churches. Don't follow that. Just follow the Bible. And do what it says. You'll be baptized because that's what Jesus said in the Apostles' Preach. You'll walk with him because you realize this. And when you go to work tomorrow, just don't go, I hate this stinking job. I wish I won that Powerball because then I would just buy me an island and be by myself forever. Well, that probably wouldn't be a good thing. Probably wouldn't be a good thing, would it? And so realize, now your job may stink. I actually had a job that did stink. I took care of dead goldfish. Man, talk about a stinky job, man. And I take them up on a hill. And on that hill, there was a mountain of dead goldfish. Been there for about three years. Every time I went up there, I got to dry heave. Man, I told my boss, I can't do this. He says, you got to do this. It was terrible. Got in the pickup truck. There was no windows in the truck. Truck was full of flies. In the back end, it was trash cans full of dead goldfish. And remind me right then, I'm going to college. I'm doing something. I'm not doing this the rest of my life. And work will do that for you. But I'm glad I had that job. It may be your first job this summer. You may be between college and you got a summer job. You may be a job that's a stepping stone to the next job. You may be in your career job. But whatever it is, the function of work is valuable. But so is rest. And so is God. If we can help you, won't you come? How's the stand sing?